Hi, my name is Leo WT, and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome at the conversation. First question was like, what does it mean to you? And I was, I Googled it because I was like, I actually don't know the whole <laughs> term. I just learned it a year ago as a term at all. Right on, right um, on. Yeah. I know kind of like the framework of what it means for me, but I mean, right. it's so massive. It's so broad. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll start off with that. I'll give a little bit of, in- of an intro too. So we should. Yeah, I'm interested to hear an intro of what you know of me. Absolutely. I, I've been thinking, oh, I've been awake for the last few nights. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for years. Right. I've been, I've been literally waiting for this day. Uh, I just got to share this to a couple more pages. So we'll just have general friendly banter for now. Oh, I got to change our screen here. Are we friendly? We do. It's a thing. <laughs> it. I mean, it's almost like we've met before, but like, I don't know, maybe yeah. not really. I don't know. <laughs> well, the last time, the first time I met you, you were a woman. So in some senses, I am meeting you again. It's true. I've had, I've had a lot of these, like you said, uh, you know, you have to kind of reintroduce yourself every decade or so. I had a lot of, you know, a lot of those like periods of growth and change in my life, but I'm here for it. So <laughs> I'd be interested. I'd be interested to hear the question. Like if I was interviewing you, yeah, I would be interested to hear you talk about the differences from when you were uh, a lesbian to when you switched to they there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That, that sounds like a totally different mentality. I actually want to have some people interview me like every now and then because there's topics that people have asked me to speak about, but I just I don't want to sit on here and just talk about it. So we could do we could do a conversations where I interview you. Yeah, I think it'd be great, actually, because I feel like you know, you'd be a good interviewer. You know what I mean? Your I'm really good so. at it. Yeah, that's what's up. All I, right. So we are I listen to podcasts all day. That's what I do. <laughs> right. So you're like an expert in the I'm matter, a professional so. question listener. I like it. I like it. All right, one more group to share to. I actually started this group, which I'm totally going to out right now. If anybody's watching this and they went to Nyack College or they were a Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, church member, you can absolutely join this group that I made. And it's called ICUS Nyack Goodbye. Uh, oh, and man. it's for everybody who's recovering from that particular brand of conservative evangelicalism. I don't know if I told you this, but Nyack is actually a trigger word for me. Really? Yeah, and I didn't think about it until I was um, editing your first podcast, and you really? said the word Nyack, and I got super triggered, and I was like, whoa, but it's because I, I fell in love with this girl from Nyack oh. uh, a couple of years ago, which you probably didn't even know about. But I didn't. Yeah, it's so funny, because so much of our conversation revolved around Nyack, and I haven't heard that since her. Oh my goodness, and, that's Until so your podcast, and I was like, oh, wow. But my, my dad actually went to Nyack, too. Oh, right on. All right. I don't think I remembered that. Yeah, he was a Bible major there. Right on. Was he straight up Bible? Like that was his whole thing? Uh, well, I mean, he came off the road from being a superstar with like Frank Sinatra to becoming a Christian going to Nyack. So was, okay. I would say he was switching gears. Right on, right on. Very cool. Well, I think we are live on all of the pages, my friends. So I'm going to give you a brief introduction to this dashing young lad that's on conversations with me tonight. 
if you have not met my friend, this is Kendall. Oh, some people know him as Ken Deasy. It's a thing. Um, but Kendall is a, a rad dude. Uh, he is a musician. He is a producer. He is a composer. And he is what I would like to refer to like a student of the world. Like life is Kendall's classroom. And I've never seen a moment where Kendall failed to take what's happening here and like think about it on every level. You know what I mean? And learn something from that situation. Uh, I, I invited Kendall on the podcast today because uh, we recently reconnected. He's, he had moved away from the area and we recently reconnected. I had him stop by, uh, stop by on my, in my shop and we just started chatting about kind of where life has taken us in yeah. the past, you know, a little bit less than a decade, but just about. Um, and Kendall brought up a good point in our little pre-show banter, which is if you haven't seen somebody in a decade, you probably need to re-meet them. And so I'm going to get to re-meet Kendall along with you guys. Um, and I'm going to let him tell him a little bit about himself. And then we're just going to kind of start talking about our topic for the night. So please feel free to share this. Actually, if everyone that's watching could share this, I would basically give you guys all a huge Christmas present if I had any. But if you just love me and like could make that happen, it would be super dope. <laughs> so if everybody that's watching could share this, that'd be great. But I'm going to let Kendall introduce himself and then we'll jump into our topic. Yeah, if I was going to add on to that, I'd say if you hear this and any part of my story resonates with you or any part of Leo's story, because um, really what we're about is trying to make people's lives better while we, while we may work on our own lives. It's and true. so, you know, if any of this resonates, that's who we want you to share it with as people who might need to hear this or anything, you know. Absolutely. Um, but a little bit about me. Thank you for that intro. That was awesome. I do what I can. Yeah. <laughs> <It was>, uh, <laughs> all right. So who am I? I am a passionate musician, producer, entrepreneur, thinker, lover, explorer, all, all of the above. I've been a lot of things to a lot of people and it's always evolving. Um, I would think that the top three consistent traits that define me would be uh, curiosity, creativity, and my sense of humor. Those oh, yeah. are things that go with me into anything that I go into. Um, Leo and I are actually really similar in a lot of ways. We were born on the same week, right? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm August, almost positive. First week of August in 1988. Yep. Yeah, so we were were pretty much twins, basically, uh, and <laughs> raised in the same form of evangelicalism. Um, yep. My parents went to the same college that she went to, or he went to. I'm sorry, they. It's, I'm it's still, okay. I'm relearning, Leo. Yeah, uh, Kendall met me when I was a woman, so this is still I, like we're reengaging. <laughs> we were, yeah, when we were hanging out, Leo was a woman, and so I I'm, was a woman. I'm just coming back to this, and it, um, I'm learning all over. So, um, yeah, I would say, let's see, I was raised second generation Christian, something that defines my story a little bit differently than a lot of people's is uh, all everybody in my family are musicians. And we had a family band, which I think you did too. We did. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a really, I just remember we yeah. had a really similar um, past. Yeah, absolutely. And so we toured around going to all these different churches, um, basically telling my parents testimony. And uh, that was kind of our family ministry. Yep. We did that from the ages of, I think, four or five until 24, 25. So uh, a good amount of my life was spent in churches. My parents were also worship leaders and they homeschooled me. And so a lot of my time as a youth was actually inside the walls of the church. Mm -hmm. um, while my parents prepared for Sunday mornings and had rehearsals and we 
supported and were on those worship teams. And then even when I went on to college, I went to Bible college and played in a lot more worship teams and served in a lot more churches. And so I've, uh, I think I've had a really good overview of ministry, at least within evangelicalism. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I did. I mean, I was, I would say I was really in it. I did Bible quizzing in high school. So I, yeah. at one point I had uh, the majority of the New Testament memorized by heart. Yep. Um, and then after uh, I did about two and a half years of Bible college, really realized that I had too many questions that were really discouraged and repressed within, um, within the Christian world. Uh, and, and I was constantly repent, repenting for having mm -hmm. questions for being a doubter. And I was right. seen as, a, as, and there's this thing where when you don't have faith or if you have too many questions or too many of the wrong questions or you have doubt, you suddenly become a threat. Yes. And the threat that that was to me was losing community, losing belonging, right. losing the love of everyone I knew. And I only knew Christians up until that point. I didn't right. know. I didn't know anyone that was non-Christian until after college. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's yeah. wild. So anyway, it I is. would say that uh, I, I dropped out of that. I thought, I can't do ministry. I have too many questions, and I'm just not stable enough for ministry. I was actually pretty seriously considering being a pastor because my temperament is very much like yours. Very pastoral, like, yeah. Yeah, very much like I care about people. And yeah. I would say I'm very humanitarian in a lot of ways. I have a huge heart for, for serving people and for um, just helping yeah. in general in any way that I can. But it wasn't spiritual enough in, yeah. in a lot of ways. And <clears throat> I think if I wrote a book, it would be called Spiritual Enough or something like that. Ooh, because like a that. lot of my journey has been uh, learning how to be okay with not being spiritual. Yeah, And, absolutely. and learning how to, to walk away and be okay with it. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I dropped out of college um, and started a two year internship at um, a recording studio where I learned sound engineering. And then I went on and um, moved to Nashville for about four years where I was pursuing both uh, music and self-development. I sort of traded off um, church for self-development, which is its own church, its own right. religion in a lot of ways. And a lot of it's a lot of there's a lot of new age within inner healing and self-development. And uh, then there was a great disillusionment with that, too. And just as the deeper you go, um, you find that self-development is really about the inner journey, about the inner walk. And um, it's so interesting because my my focus from beginning till now started with being right. Like there was this super huge emphasis in the church growing up on the truth yeah the big pursuit of truth and everything yeah, that's not truth yeah right right and everything that's not true being thrown in the fire right if it's even remotely not true it's a threat to it's like you don't you don't even consider it there's this harsh judgment of anything that's considered to be not true yeah and i was really raised with that with a really sharp mind for that and I think that that turned on itself eventually where I started questioning enough yeah. things within spirituality to where, where I said, do I really think this is true? Right. 
Absolutely. And, and that's like you said before, that that was your whole world to that point, right? So disillusionment is going to be a natural outcome of that, right? Right. I think fundamentalism, I think dis- disenchantment and disillusionment is a it's a natural progression from fundamentalism. Yeah, absolutely. It's like late stage fundamentalism, you know. If you think it's yeah. fundamentalism is a cancer, it's like stage five fundamentalism is just disillusionment, <laughs> perpetual repenting, like, you know, and, and being, then you have this moment where you're like, what, it, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? You know? Yeah. And you get, you get to the point where you don't have hope. You have yeah. religion, but you don't have hope. Right. And you don't know who you are because you, you've become completely enmeshed in what everyone says you should be and what uh, God and somebody else's interpretation of God says you should be. And um, it, it drives me nuts now because when I look at a lot of the people that I love that are still very uh, entrenched in that form of evangelicalism, I, I get angry because I, the biggest thing I would want for them is to have the freedom to be themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. To be stuck in judgment and to be stuck in fear is it's just something that um it's something the church taught me to save people from right but it, it also ended up being the source of a lot of that and so what i'm doing i would say with um my deconstruction is learning how to disentangle yeah those toxic things the things that are really um it's learning it's learning how to pull apart i would say the damaging toxic parts of religion and replacing them with more of a love for life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I threw, I threw out the word deconstruction in the title here. And I want, I knew that we would be kind of conversationally defining it. Right. Um, And so for those of you who are listening and maybe haven't heard the word deconstruction, I'm kind of noticing myself. I'm noticing just in the things I'm reading and the communities that I'm engaging with online uh, that deconstruction is kind of a buzzword right now, especially for like recovering evangelicals. Um, I always I used to call myself post-Christian because like the narrative of like who Jesus was like, I, I, I'm down with that. Right. But there's right. so much that when you say the word Christian, it's like a 20 ton, like lead weight. And I didn't sign up for all of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of people in, in, in our age bracket um, that have, have come to this late stage fundamentalism. And so now the, the idea of deconstruction is kind of the idea of unlearning all of that toxicity that you took in. And, um, and so for someone like Kendall and myself, um, because we, we are, we are incredibly similar. Like my wife says all the time that we could be brothers. It's really actually kind of creepy. Um, but for something that I I think that's really strong in both of us is that if we do something, it is, it is all the way, right? Like, uh, like Ron Swanson, like Ron Swanson said, like, don't half-ass anything, whole-ass one thing. Uh, I think Kendall and I both whole-assed evangelicalism and, uh, you know, I like to say I double-fisted the Kool-Aid, right? Um, and so there's, there comes this point uh, where you're in your adulthood and you've been taught to believe this really rigid, really almost cult-like set of rules. And then you get to this place where like you were in it to win it. And then all of a sudden you're like, it's like all the wheels fall off. And for me, that was incredibly disorienting and landed yeah. me in a nervous breakdown. Um, what, yeah. what would you say was what would you say was sort of the beginning of your deconstruction journey? Like what was, do you remember a moment where you're like, huh? 
Yeah, I don't remember one moment. I think it was a compilation of millions of moments. Series. Uh, and yeah. a lot of them were pushed down and repressed because of the fear of doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, w- it usually just came up as like, huh, that seems fishy. Or there's a cognitive dissonance here. Right. Um, how is God all loving unconditionally on the condition that I meet the conditions? Right. Like you, right, right, right. You know, you see little things like that and you're just like, well, that doesn't make sense. But maybe if I just have a little more faith, just pray about it. <laughs> I, mean, like, I and like there was millions of those moments. And it got to the point where, especially when you go to Bible school and you know this and you start studying the Greek and the Hebrew and you read mm-hmm. the translations and you read the thesauruses and everybody, the historians, and you start to like really say like, okay, all these people have these interpretations. I think interpretation was a big deal for me. Yeah. Um, I would say there was probably three things. I think interpretation was one. Uh, the voice of God was a really big one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, well, along the lines of interpretation, uh, the vast differences of personal revelation. Right. Really right. felt fishy. I mean, the fact that uh, Calvinists can tell you what Methodists are doing wrong and then Protestants can tell you exactly what Catholics are doing wrong and they can tell you how the Jews got it wrong and they can tell you how the Muslims got it wrong. And the fact that God is revealing himself to people all over the planet and they can't seem to agree. Right. It seems really fishy to me, but they're all convinced that they have the right way. And that, yeah, to me, I, I couldn't, I, I just thought, well, why just because you're more confident in your view, does that make it, it doesn't make it more right. right. It doesn't even make it more reasonable. No, not at all. There's so many instances. I think one of the things that really got me, uh, a good friend of mine in high school, his name was Taylor. Um, and we were in enrichment together. So naturally we were predisposed to anxiety and underachieving in adult life. (laughs) But, um, we used to always talk about, you know, he would always say like, I can't be a part of something that makes me check my brain at the door. And that was kind of, if I look back, that was an early, um, moment of deconstruction for me. And like, I wouldn't have even probably listed that until right now, but it was like kind of the seed that planted in my head where I was like, yeah, I should, I'm a thinking person by nature. I should be able to think about my religion and what I say. And, and, and it should, there should be, you know, harmony, not dissonance. And then the, the more I go along in life, the more dissonance there was. Right. How how many times growing up were you told that, you think too much oh my god oh my god that you needed to have more faith because you're just thinking too much all the time i'm still worried to be a thinking person because there's apparently like just some deep-seated like you said with niag like there's a trigger there for me right like i thought about things too much or i was constantly overthinking or i was kind of the kid in like sunday school they'd be like you know what I mean? They're like, don't, don't, don't push this anymore. Like we gave you the one answer. We gave you the one that's out of the playbook. Now just like, stop, you know, and it many, never worked out for me. Have you ever asked a question in, in Sunday school or Wednesday night or something where they came to you after and you said, they said that we're happy to answer questions in private, but you're causing other people to doubt. Yeah, totally. Where they're like, like well, we'll you've talk become about this a later. threat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that weird though? Because like, I would think, 
that anything that you want to believe in should hold up to basic standards of logic. Like when I was in like third or fourth grade, I took a seminar on logic as part of this enrichment program that I was a part of. And they talked about, you know, like actual logic devices, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I, I was thinking to myself, like, if I'm going to believe something, if I'm going to let something shape and guide my whole life, I'm going to need it to, to hold weight in terms of logic. Like if this were a court of law, I'm going to need it to hold weight, you know? Yeah, and, and truth should be able to hold up to criticism. It should. I think, like, if you're so secure in your faith, why is there fear of it right. crumbling? Right, exactly. I don't, I don't understand why um, questions would be a threat to anything that was secure. Right, exactly. And then and then you become you become that threat to that institution and, and you you rise up to or you you encounter this moment where it's like, oh, crap, it really is like I get in line or I lose everything. So while you may not have come out as an LGBTQ person, I feel like you understand the process of coming out because you've came to a moment in your life where you had to be like, I mean, any admission of doubt publicly to evangelicals is tantamount to just being done. That's it. That's it. You might as well just say like, you might as well burn a cross. You know what I mean? Um, so I feel like while you may not have came out as an LGBTQ person, you understand that tension of where if I speak my real mind and my real heart, there's going to be drastic implications. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot because I, I often wonder, I'm like, why am I like this? I've always been a big question asker and I've always um, tended to get in conflicts with people, usually for the good majority of my life without meaning to. It was yeah. usually that I was just genuinely curious and someone flipped out. Yeah. And, and somewhere in the last, only in the, I mean, I was a really big people pleaser growing up and it's only been in the last five years that I've learned to have enough of a backbone to have meaningful conversations mm -hmm. where I stand ground and we, we can actually like learn from each other. That's um, so interesting. Yeah. But it's interesting how you almost, uh, you get put in enough of these situations, you end up building a backbone naturally because right you either you either crumble or you learn you to stand to. on your feet exactly you have to and i think that's that's one of the beautiful things that has come for me um from the coming out process and i allude to this regularly but like when you come up to that moment and there there it's a dark night of the soul moment you know what i mean like uh mother teresa's it was john of the cross i can't remember the original um, theologian to use the dark night of the soul phrase, but uh, I came to this dark night of the soul and I can, I can, I can smell the gross water of the Hudson and I can feel the ache in my calves from walking up the, you know, the hill at Nyack because literally everything is a hill at Nyack. Um, and I remember yeah, there. Yeah. it's so yeah. true, right? It's so true. You should try yeah. training as a soccer player at Nyack. It's awful. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, it was awful. But I remember this moment where I was sitting in um, in the dean of students office. Her name was Michelle Pinkham. She was a fantastic progressive woman. Thank God she was there when I was, or it would like my story would have a drastically different twist in it, you know, but she was like, what are the things that you believe in? Like, these are your non-negotiables. And I feel like, I feel like having that conversation forced me to, to that backbone. Like, no, you can't disenfranchise me from these ideas. And you can't say, oh, you're being hateful by encouraging LGBTQ people to come out because like, because you know, and you know, like, because I know that that's the most loving thing to do in the moment. 
And I think if there was one mandate, that would be like a part of what I would believe in any religion that I'd put weight behind. It would be do what's most loving, right? And so like I started to just see these little moments where I was like, no, I won't back down. I will not back down on this issue. And that like it's it's one little thing at first. But then what I found over the process is you get more little things as you go along, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have so many good questions for you. And I just want to like, I want to, I want to jump out with one of them. Cause I know the idea of feelings is not entirely po a popular topic amongst folks who I love feelings. Ken Kendall loves feelings. Um, I do too. I, I try to intentionally talk about my feelings cause I am so cerebral, but talk to me, you know, we've talked a lot about, uh, about a lot of heavy implications of deconstruction, but what were some of the feelings and emotions that you've been experiencing as you go through this? Um, I mean, through the deconstruction process specifically. Yeah. 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 Like, and it can be, I mean, the, I feel like the, the past almost decade of your life has been a journey towards deconstruction. So there's a, a wide array of, you know, material there. Well, I, there was a good, uh, eight to nine years where I was hiding. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a good amount of time. I, even when I met you, I think I was, I was still going to church. Yeah. Um, because I kept trying, I kept trying to not give up. And that's the yeah. way it's viewed in the church is that if you doubt or have questions or want to step away from the church, it's, it's seen as backsliding. It's seen Absolutely. as, um, it basically like losing ground, losing your way, being a lost person. Mm -hmm. And, and like when you're in it, you're taught to do everything to avoid that. And right. it's so, so there was a, a huge process of just letting go the need to control what I know, how I know it. And uh, there was, a, I think the really, the biggest process has been self-acceptance, learning how to accept myself. Mm -hmm. um, because you'll know this, there's a good amount of what you learn in the church is to not accept yourself. It's actually the opposite, it's to judge yourself. Oh my God, um, yes, yes. While you're taught that it doesn't matter what you did today, God accepts you right where you, you're at. It's that's sort of the pitch, the sales pitch. But mm -hmm. once you get into the religion, you find that if you're not doing everything right, um, you're actually not as lovable as you thought. Absolutely. And, or hoped. And yeah. there's this crazy thing when your entire environment has been religion in the church up until your adult age, losing that, you find that you don't actually fit in the church and you don't fit in the world. It's oh. like you don't fit in secular society because you've never been in it. And never. You don't fit in the church because you've outgrown it. Yes. So where do you belong? Yeah. And there, suddenly it's this huge journey for belonging, which I think people in the trans community understand really well. Oh, my goodness. Intimately, very intimately. Like you don't fit one category or the other neatly. And so it's like, what yeah. the hell? Right. Because. Um, with this group conversations, one of the first things I posted when I reinvigorated uh, the page, uh, for those of you who don't know, conversations has been around since uh, 2011. And Kendall actually used to come to conversations when it was uh, when we held it at my house, which is pretty dope. I think I was the um, first man, right? Yeah, you were. You were the first dude. So I'm, previously, I'm the Adam. 
You were the Adam. Conversations was a <laughs> gaggle of lesbians for a while. Because frankly, my friend circle is still kind of a gaggle of lesbians. Like, I don't think it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Kendall was like the first dude that came and came regularly. Um, but one of the, when I reposted the Facebook page, because it was actually old enough that I had to completely reformat the group that we had. Oh, wow, that's funny. It was wild. It was like some incompatible Facebook format from almost a decade ago. Um, but so I posted a, I posted a poll in the conversations group. And I said, if you were to get something out of this group, like, what are you looking for? And the number one answer was Belonging. community. Yep, community, exactly. Yeah. Like, I want to belong yeah. somewhere. I want to be okay yeah. in a space. And I think that that is, for me, has been the biggest challenge of deconstruction was because like you said, like you didn't fit in the secular world and you didn't fit in the Christian world. And I, I so deeply understand that because like I like I didn't have pop culture references that everybody else had. Like still to this day, Elle will be like, have you ever heard of this? And I was like, nope. <laughs> like I had to Google my pop culture references to have any touch point with my friends that weren't Christians. Any. And right, it was, it was like, just Five Iron Frenzy up until then. Five Iron Frenzy and <laughs> McGee and Audio me. Andre Audio and adrenaline. Audio adrenaline, big, big house. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, kingdom <laughs> bound, like it, the works, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I, so when I came, when I was leaving that church world, which I was very, you know, disillusioned with, for me, the, the process of deconstruction has been probably like, to be honest, I'm going to say it, I'm on like year 10 or 11 of this journey. Um, yeah. And I'm just now finding the, I'm just now coming back to a place where I can talk about it. Yep. But I've had to figure out how to engage with a culture that didn't like I didn't understand popular culture and Christian culture didn't understand me. And so in many ways, I feel perpetually uh, like a man with no flag still to this day, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what that does is it actually strips away your identity. Mm -hmm. And I and that's that's such a huge thing for for the gay and trans culture, too, is is when you don't fit in and it's crazy. So when you grow up in church and you, you're actually taught what your identity is, you mm -hmm. were born, you are a child of Christ, you yep. are this part of this community. And then when you strip all those things away, you're like, well, now who am I? I have to start from the beginning again. Yep. I have to decide what I am and who I am and what the narrative of my life is going to be. And that's no small thing to undertake. And it's terrifying. Yeah. And I would say that, that there was a good amount of depression yeah, I was going through. I didn't even know I was going through it. I yeah. I would actually just disappear for days, um, and I wouldn't even acknowledge. It was actually kind of like a really weird thing where, uh, I I would just sort of like whenever I had like days off or different things, I would disappear. And someone started asking me. I actually had this this uh life coach friend who was like, "Does this happen a lot?" And I was like, "No, no, no." They're like, "Well, maybe you're just depressed." And I'm like, "No." And I went to a doctor right before I left for Nashville, and he's like, "I." I said, I don't know why, but I'm like tired all the time and I'm just lethargic and I don't have any passion anymore. And they were like, oh yeah, you're actually, you're just depressed. And I was like, no, it's not depression. And right. I had so much stigma about depression. Right. And finally I had a life coach friend say, well, make a schedule and just mark off every time it happens this month. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that like, it was like over almost three weeks of the month I was disappearing and depressed. Wow. It was wow. happening the majority of the time and I wasn't even acknowledging it. Right. So it took it took a while for me to get to the point to say like, oh, OK, this is happening. How much is it happening? Right. What's triggering it uh, and what's going on? And that's really been the inner work I've been doing a lot of the last four or five years has been more geared towards mental health, which right. I think is where self-development inevitably leads to. For sure. 
for sure. I also feel like mental health is something that is not talked about in religious cultures because it's just like, you're just supposed to pray and you're just supposed to submit and you're just supposed to be okay. Right. And it's, there's this weird thing in, in specifically in evangelicalism where it's like, you have to be okay all the time and you have to give, you're abdicating all control. Like you're almost, you're almost like a robot for God. Like everything you do or think about, like all the praises to God, all your focus is on God and you become this like shell of a person, but that's not actually possible because you're still a person. And so there's like a, a disconnect um, like in our brains between what we're feeling and what's happening. And you have to, I think any good spiritual journey is a journey of concentric circles back to who you were supposed to be, who you were before you were handed to a human, right? And I think that's a, like, we're not taught to value who we are as people when you're in the evangelical world, because you're just supposed to be, you're supposed to be for God and you're supposed to be flawed with an original sin. But what happens to your worldview when you start to not believe that you're fucked from the beginning and you start to believe that maybe there's some good in you? It's a really weird journey. Yeah. So that's that's funny you say that because that's actually the biggest thing that led me out of the doors of the church was um, so the way specifically that the church affected my mental health was that exact thing where you have this God who's who's pure, 100 percent good. And you're supposed to be like him, like Christian means little Christ. And the entire uh, sanctification process is about getting rid of your awful, sinful self and becoming just a little bit more purified until the day that you're like Christ. I mean, that's, that's the Christian journey from beginning to end. Yep. And something that I really uh, got discouraged over a lot in college was how often I was like sinful or sinning or had impure thoughts or had, and I, I actually, there's this um, thing. I didn't even know it was a thing until last year um, called religious OCD and it's OCD specifically caused by the need to watch your individual thoughts. Um, which is huge impurity culture. You're taught to uh, label and judge every thought that comes in and out. And I actually still have that to this day where I, I actually can't not think that precisely about my thoughts. Mm. Um, and uh, so I've kind of gotten to this point where I don't, I don't think a good God would create people to feel awful about themselves all the time. That seems like a fundamental flaw. Yeah. I don't think that a God of love would create people to hate themselves essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what purity culture teaches, which is what, um, yeah, I don't know. I have a really hard time with that one. And I, I just, uh, it's the opposite of where I want to go with my life. It was leading to so many things. So many of my depressions were coming from not being good enough for God, for being lovable within that community, for being um, just sinful to the point where I hated my body. Right. I hated being a man. I hated right. being sexual. I hated being, um, I couldn't actually love myself because everything that was natural in me was wrong. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's a logical and I, outcome of what we're taught. And no matter how much I fasted and went to prayer meetings and wrote papers and journaled and whatever I did to please God, there's never a point out at which it's enough. And the Christians would say that to cover that, you need grace. You need the blood of Jesus and grace. But I, while that was a popular teaching in the church, they never taught how that's implemented in your life. Mm-hmm. 
So you're taught mm-hmm. how to judge yourself, but you're not taught how to give yourself grace. Right. Right. Wow. And and that leads to all kinds of mental health problems. I can't even explain like that's really what gets me fired up when I talk about deconstruction is yeah. When I see so many of my friends from Bible school, I see them falling apart in ministry now. I yeah. see their marriages falling apart. I see sometimes they write me and tell me how much they hate themselves because of the very thing that I'm talking about. Right. And it's a very common thing in the ex-evangelical, uh-huh. which are which is like this group of 30 something year olds that are leaving the church right now and they all talk about the same thing. Yeah. Um is is going through the pain of not being enough for God. Yeah. And then having to rediscover. So having to rediscover love for yourself. And that's what I was going to say originally about. So when you don't find acceptance in the church and then you don't find acceptance in the world, the only place left for acceptance is within yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really where my journeys led to yeah. is the journey towards self-acceptance. Yeah. That's so, of, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say at the end of the day, like who else is going to give it to you? Right. Yeah. It's so interesting because this, the, the, for me, it probably cause I'm fucking queer. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the journey for coming out of evangelicalism has really mirrored in a lot of ways, the journey of coming out and the coming out came first and then, then the deconstruction came second. But, um, I've developed a language for talking about coming out because you might've noticed I'm kind of a talker and people ask me to talk a lot. Um, so when I get to talk, when I get the privilege of talking to LGBTQ youth, I always talk about how there's multiple levels of coming out and, and there's no level of coming out that is going to fit for you. And like, it's going to relieve your stress until you come out to yourself. Because a lot of times people will come out publicly, they'll come out to their friends, they'll come out to, to love interest or whatever, but they haven't came out to themselves and like they accepted, accepted that. themselves yet. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's multiple coming outs that you have to go through. And I think it's the same way with the evangelicalism, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like for me, I've noticed that the world feels a lot more sure once I've completed the coming out to myself part, you know? Yeah. It reminds me, have you ever heard of the, um, what is it called? It's like the journey of the soul by Nietzsche. Yeah. 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 Where he talks about how you start your life as a, a beast of burden. You're this camel and you're bearing the expectations of the world. And then you meet this dragon. Is this, you know, the story. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and share it for our listeners. Uh, okay, though. okay, I'll share it for yeah, the group. Yeah. So there's this uh, dragon, and the dragon's name is Thou Shalt, and on every scale of the dragon is the words Thou Shalt, and mm-hmm. basically it's Thou Shalt be this, this, and this. It's the expectations of religion and society and everything that everyone else says that we should be, and then after, so so you go and you do battle with this dragon, and only after slaying him you become a lion. Mm-hmm. And then after a line, you become a baby, which which symbolizes after you've essentially won against the expectations of every, everyone else, you you're reborn into a life as your real self, which is right. what you're talking about, journeying back to becoming who you were before expectations Absolutely. hit you. Absolutely. And, and I almost re- go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. You go. No, 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 no. You. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's a giant. It's um. Yeah, I'm picturing it as like two triangles that meet in the middle. And so like, we've got a journey back down to this so that we can then go there. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, and that's what I was going to say about, um, like you were saying, coming out to yourself. 
it's only after you can cast off the expectations of everyone else that you can actually fully embrace yourself. Right. Absolutely. And that's yeah. the essence of self-love is like, yeah. no matter what anyone else thinks, I've got me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's weird because within so much of religion, and I'm not even sure if this is specific to evangelicals, I can't, I, I a lot of times I speak from an evangelical standpoint um, because that's my first language. So right. if you're on here and you're not evangelical or you have roots that are not evangelical, I'd love to hear your feedback. But uh, there is this thing with evangelicalism. So Kendall's saying, and, and we're, we're kind of talking around this idea of, you know, so much strength and power coming from knowing yourself. But there is something baked into evangelicalism with the original sin that you're flawed. And if you trust yourself, then you are most likely denying God. And so it's kind of, it's almost cult-like. The fact that you are taught, sy systematically taught to not trust yourself to hate yourself you're you're yeah you're taught to hate yourself and if you have an in, if, as an evangelical your first instinct is based in original sin so how could uh, you ever like love yourself because god hates sin because god hates born, sin and you were born to sin so right i mean if you take that to its extreme and you look at like westboro baptist yeah their their definition of god's love is god hates you yeah yeah yes Exactly. And where else, where do you go from there logically? Like that, that is a psychologically damaging worldview. This is a psychologically damaging worldview. Like what do we even do next? You know what I mean? I've had to personally unlearn that. Like I still, my gut instinct is to tr not trust my gut instinct. Like you can't live like that. It's too stressful. I, I would say that's actually the biggest thing I've gained through, so, through deconstruction. That's for the first time in my life, I trust myself more than anyone else. That's awesome. That's, that's so huge. That's never happened till the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. That's when you know the inner work is working. Right. Right. Yeah. Because then you've kind of cleared out the rot and you've got down to the, the good stuff, right? You cleared away the decay. Yeah. yeah. And then you have something to build on because you can't keep building on this decaying foundation. Right. Right. What, um, yeah. What words of, oh, someone on here is a deconstructed Roman Catholic. I love this. I love it. Oh, I wish I'm I could here. see comments. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm on my phone. If, if anybody, <laughs> in case anybody's not noticing that, I, I'm tracking your comments right here, right here. <laughs> I feel like, um, and I'm very curious to, to see if that is, if that is something that's baked into other, you know, other flavors of religion as well. I'm very curious. So. I don't know if that's a if that's a mainstay of just theism. I think no, I think it is. Uh, like there's this really good um, book. I think it was by the evangelical podcast guy. I can't remember his name, um, but he he made a book called Empty the Pews, and okay. it was basically all testimonies of people coming out of the church, and they all said really similar things to that. Yeah. Um, and that was when he when he said the evangelical church that includes Mormons and Catholics. Uh-huh. Um but I mean from what I've heard of of other fundamental religions like uh Islam, it's similar as well. Yeah, like um Islamic, not Islamic, uh Abrahamic religions, right? That's what we're called that's what we're calling like the group that would include Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, I believe are all what's considered to be Abrahamic religions because they all actually Judaism uh, the um evangelicalism or Christianity and Islam actually all recognize the the Bible. 
right? And they all recognize the life of Jesus. They just interpret it differently. Um, And so there's certainly a link there. I'm not sure when you push that out to other major world religions, you know, because like Hinduism, there's a plurality of deities uh, and Buddhism is kind of like, it's not anti-deity, but it's like you're working from to find the power from within kind of a thing. Um, I, I, I'm currently on an interfaith journey of learning more about other religions. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had a moment, uh, it was like two Halloweens ago, I went to trivia night and there was a religion category. Um, and my friends that were, they go to trivia night regularly, like begged me to come that night. Cause they're like, you're the religion guy. And I got there and I didn't know a single one of the questions because none of them are about evangelicalism. And I was like, well, shit, I really don't know anything about anything, you know? Yeah. It was a weird realization. <laughs> it never ends. I mean, it, it never doesn't. ends. And if you think about it, like, I was just thinking about this today. Even with everything in Christianity, I've I've studied Christianity, like, I've been in it since I was, before I was born, and I've studied it for 10 to 15 years, went to college for it. Yeah. And there are people, I mean, that have been writing books on it for thousands of years. You think yeah. about how much literature is just on interpretation of scripture. Yeah. There's so much out there. You And that's just one religion. You think about that, you know, magnified by other religions. It's, there's so much more to know. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you stand now? Like, uh, and apologies in advance, because I, I gave Kendall like five questions and he like really sat down and broke them down. But like in conversation, I'm just coming up with other questions. And sure. frankly, if there was no cameras, no mics, no one else watching, I would still be asking you these questions. We would still be just talking. Yeah. This is literally a typical conversation for us. Yeah, L always laughs because we always get into deep conversations. Like, yeah. I don't know how to function any other way, but um, what do you think about like the inerrancy of the Bible? And for those of you who are watching, uh, biblical inerrancy is the concept that the Bible is above reproach, 100% divinely inspired, and there is no flaws within the book. Uh, I used to joke at Nyack, my college, that if you just said the phrase biblical inerrancy three times in a row, you'd get kicked out, you know, because if you, <laughs> if you were questioning it, they would like they, the NSA style, they were going to come for you. But yeah. what do you think about like everything that you've learned? How does that make you think about the book of the Bible? I, I mean, it really depends on which book of the Bible we're talking about. I don't right. think the book of the, the book of the Bible well, there's, there's 66 books, right? So it's, you know, it's a library. What do you think about the library of the Bible? It's so crazy because even when you're reading the Bible, you're reading a translation of a translation of someone's interpretation of someone else's interpretation. Thank you. Uh, I wish there was so, a neon sign right there. Yeah. Like when you, like, that's a really complex question because yeah, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's just basically like a compilation of interpretations, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of, a lot of very holy people, mostly yeah. white men, have come together and really worked hard to decide what what's to be in there and not yes Um, (laughs) i don't think that makes them necessarily i have never understood what made them specifically an authority it means that they were probably the best at the time at it yep and they and it had to be done because so many people after like a hundred to 200 years after christ died people were popping up with gospels left and right left and right left and right i mean everybody was saying they knew the guy and this was the way to go And so like you had to decide as a starting church, as a starting religion. All right, well, what are we going to agree on? Yeah. So it makes like, I I understand it makes sense. I just, I don't understand why 
if God is alive and well and speaks to people today, why are those the only inspired works? If a God that's alive is still speaking to people, why yeah. can't it uh, like if the thing that qualifies literature to be scripture is that it's inspired? I don't understand why the affirmation of men is what makes it inspired. I don't understand so I, either. I don't at the end of the day, I don't actually really care anymore. Yeah. Uh, like that's kind of where I'm at with it is that it's so irrelevant to my life at this point. It it hasn't made my life better. Yeah. Um but I understand that it matters to other people. And right. so like I will I'm more than happy to have the conversations about it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like like life still moves on. Like I it's so crazy because when I talk to Christians about this and I just say like it doesn't matter to me anymore, it, it sounds so much like giving up or like maybe I just don't know much about scripture. Right. And it's so wild because I dedicated the majority of my life to understanding scripture. Yes. <laughs> and you get to a point where you never know enough. And at the same time, life goes on. People you love get sick and die. Uh, the country lights on fire. There's pandemics. There's things mm -hmm. that like life keeps marching forward. And you don't have all the time in the world for, you know, to wait around for God to give you an answer on yeah. uh, the truth. Yep. Like we yep. didn't all get uh, the Mormon magic glasses, you know right. what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, so. absolutely. I think there's a whole, there's a whole underpinning to this idea of deconstruction and it follows through with this conversation that we're having about the Bible right now right. is that you have to learn to live in the questions. Uh, yeah, yeah. A, good, a good mentor of mine said, like, you can't stop living until you have an answer. Yep. Like, that's not an option. You can't just press pause. This isn't yeah. saved by the I bell. Like, you're not before, and I really loved that quote. That's really good. Yeah, you can't. Eventually, you have to find you have to find sustainable every day. This is this is where I'm at. You know what I mean? I have to live no matter what. And I think for me, the underpinnings that made me okay with that was really understanding what my non-negotiables are. Um, and for me as a person, I actually have them tattooed on my knuckles. Um, I had to read biblical Greek and Hebrew in thug college. Life. So yeah, thug life. That's what it says in biblical Hebrew. Yeah, thug life. I see that. Thug you see life. it, right? Yeah. This is good translation. <laughs> yeah, well, Bible college, you know. Yeah, right. Exactly, right. You learn to read thug life in Greek. Thug life in Greek. Oh my God. This is why we're so fun to hang out with because we have conversations with this all the time. <laughs> there is nothing that beats a good biblical humor joke. Um, at least there's not, but um, <laughs> my my best Bible joke, and I didn't even mean to make it, was one time I was in a I was in a Bible class at college, and a friend came in the room, and I didn't know he was in the class, and I looked at him and I said, uh, I said, wow, they're just letting anyone study the Bible these days, and I didn't even realize why that was funny because historically. <laughs> They rarely let anyone study the Bible. <laughs> and I didn't know that at the time. It was like one of my best Bible yeah. jokes. I didn't even yeah. know what I was saying. You just stumbled right into I, it. I was just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> just the majority of my humor. I, I love know. it. I love it so much. Same here. Like, it's not even. I just, I'm just talking. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Um, so my non-negotiables that I came out with were, um, shalom and agape, which is like a holistic piece. So between like divine and man, man and man, man and the universe, like just complete and utter peace. Right. And then agape love is just like completely perfect, unfailing love, complete like belonging and love. Exactly. Yeah. And those were my non-negotiables. And so for me, 
I, I, I believe personally, like if there is going to be a deity that is, uh, or if there is a divine nature, spirit, breath, universe, like whatever, I sound like Rob Bell when I'm giving all these different words, right? Like going in here, but, but like, if there's going to be this overarching divinity or spirituality, right? I think that it has to come to its summation in the ideas of peace and love. Mm -hmm. And so frankly, I test the Bible against those ideals now, right? And uh, for me, for me personally, um, I, I think the Bible is, it, it was inspired by God revealing God's self to people, right? But they're still people. And so for me, I almost see like this is something that the Bible teaches that is like inspiring and pointing towards those things, right? So in that instance, I can see a certain story. Like I can see these stories as analogies, uh, as different parts of the Bible, and I see, like, I take the good and leave the bad. And I have to uh, be sensitive to the fact that there's been, the Bible's been used as a tool for the bad by a lot of people. And so for me, I take it as a book, uh, a library of books, really, like I said, like 66 books that I can find inspiration from. Uh, and, and I take those parts and then I move forward with them, right? I don't know what the fuck was happening with the dashing babies heads off rocks verse. Like I'm not going to build a liturgy around that, right? But I do think it's really also, cool. Why did that get to stay in? Like why was why? that inspired? <laughs> why? And why is in one of the minor prophet books, there's a story about a man being stabbed and he was so fat that his stomach swallowed the sword. Like who put that in there? Like why was that canonized? <laughs> What was hit the prophet and the bears? Yeah. Call, call out some bears to eat some kids for calling you bald. It's like, yeah. Well, yeah. Sounds inspired. Leave it in. Very inspired. Like, I don't understand what they were thinking, right? But then the gospel of, of Mary couldn't be in there because, whoa, women can't be divinely inspired on their own. I, they must be. I always the thought it was so man. funny, like, how much, how much Protestants love Martin Luther. And then when you actually study Martin Luther's life and you read about the anti-Semitism, he had a book called On Jews and Their Lies, and it was about burning their houses and pushing them out of your, because he ate some bad kosher food and got a stomach ache. You can look this up. It's a really crazy story. I did a paper on it. Lutherans, Um, where are you at? (laughs) Yeah. And and it's so funny because he actually was against the book of Ruth and the book of Revelation because they don't uh, exactly say the words God. Right. And he was like, they're not inspired. Take them out. (laughs) <laughs> and so which he's the guy that made the protestant bible he is the dude anyone that doesn't yep. know that out there he's uh, the dude like, a lot of people don't a lot of a lot of protestants don't know that there's a difference between a protestant bible and a catholic bible. and a catholic bible yep there's like yeah. five or six mixing books from the apocrypha yeah that martin luther took out and he wanted to include revelation which god i wish he would have because i mean <sighs> So every, many left behind. Every crazy Protestant happen. you meet is quoting Revelation somewhere. Oh my God. There, so, there like, are Protestants <laughs> that devote their lives to studying the book of Revelation. I was like, why don't you just take acid and lay on your bathroom floor? You'll have the same experience as the book of Revelation. Like, come on. That's I actually read that in um in Bible college. I read uh I can't remember what it was, but it was it was a like historian book on Revelation. And that was something one scholar suggested was maybe that there was hallucinogenics on the island that john is on which who knows i mean it's speculation but the fact that the book is so vividly colorful yep yeah it it makes also simultaneously makes no goddamn sense right (laughs) 
it's interesting when you start to study like ashwagandha and trips like that you're just like all right i mean it makes sense if you read about the angels in revelation having like 10 wings and a thousand right. heads and right like, okay i guess this makes sense yeah right i guess i could roll with it so yeah you absolutely know. I mean, there are plenty of religious practices around the world, too, where people, like, ingest hallucinogenics to have an experience with God. Like, that's right. also not uncommon. The divine. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, for one, will not be taking ayahuasca anytime soon because my, my mind is already dark and twisty enough. Like, I can't add hallucinogenics to it. It would just be so, so bad for me. <laughs> I, well, I don't know about ayahuasca. I don't, I don't know what your opinions are on, like, psilocybin, but it actually might take away some of that. I have heard that. I don't know the chemical properties of ayahuasca. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not a student here, right? It's a root. It's yeah. A root. Is it, is it, would it's it be something that would contain psilocybin? Psilocybin? Uh, I'd have to research it. It's different than mushrooms. It's yeah. a different, it's different chemical compound, but it's yeah. like, I, I'm like a scholar. I've never taken it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Like Kendall's yeah, over talking here. about ayahuasca. He's got a little jar of ayahuasca right next to him. Yeah. So this jar of ayahuasca here. Is, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a mint. There you go, man. No, it's it's so funny though, because like I, that's that is absolutely like if you really read the book of Revelation, like whoa. And then you've got you have got modern wave evangelicals forming a whole book series that has basically been canonized, made into movies, and we're supposed to have this one interpretation of the book of Revelation. And it is frankly terrifying if i had to list the list you know like i categorize the amount of things uh most frequent nightmares i've had in my life most of them have been about the end times which is a specific interpretation of the book of revelation it's frankly utterly terrifying like that's you know, what i, I was, had nightmares I was, about. I was just watching a video on youtube this weekend it was talking about um it was about a girl on tiktok that made a famous basically fantasy about the vaccination being the end times which is a really big thing uh, right now in evangelicalism it's like yep. the mark of the beast is going to be ushered in through this new covid vaccine and yep it's a it's a conspiracy theory but actually a lot of christians have these end time fantasies yeah of persecution persecution fantasies that's the yep. title of them yep um and it's its own form of mental illness i i really like i don't i don't say that judgmentally i actually like my heart really goes out because that was right. me when i was right. younger. same um yeah. so and and you grow up with the left behind series and you're just waiting for it to happen. Basically. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, okay, we're just waiting for the next Holocaust. Okay. Yeah. Like you come out of, you come out of the bathroom and no one else is in your house. Right. And you're like, oh my God, have yeah. I been left behind? Like what's I've been happening? Left behind. Yeah. I've been you left look behind. for the clothes. You look yep. for the clothes on the ground. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, I, my, uh, my Bampa who, who is a man who's taught me many things uh, in my life and who has been fundamental in my development uh, as my mom's dad. In um, there's what did so you call much. Your manta, my bampa. Your bampa. <laughs> yeah, B A M P A. Uh, I couldn't say grandpa when I was younger, so I just called him my bampa. Um, and uh, but he was a southern, like he went to Bible school in Southern Ohio after having like a dramatic conversion experience, and he went on uh. to be a pastor. Uh, and his particular interest was the field of eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times yeah. as presented in the book of Revelation. Yeah. And so when I was young, because I'm weird, um, I, I was really, well, I was nerdy. Uh, and so I was extra fascinated by his study of the book of Revelation. And so when I was young, I was just reading all of this Revelation literature and unsupervised. studies. Uh, unsupervised, right? Yeah, yeah, unsupervised. <laughs> um, and I was reading like it handing on- handing your kid a gun. 
exactly like it was an yeah. ideological gun and uh, i was reading it on his like you know the computer printer that came off like uh in perforated sheets together with the little circles on the side like he still had all of his typing was on that yeah and that just was irreparably damaging if i'm being honest and i i i i've, I've gained so much from my bampa like he's taught me so many things about life he got me my first guitar you know uh, but it's another example of how like you had to buy in lock, stock and barrel to the evangelical canon, which is different than any other canon. And frankly, the evangelical canon is incredibly different than mainline churches. Like I didn't even know what I didn't know when I was young. I didn't know that like people could be a Christian and talk about social justice and not be worried about the concept of heaven and hell. And then I was considered heretical just for saying that, you know, and, and here I am now and I'd be lying if, if there weren't moments where I was like, ah, crap, did I like, did I really veer off course way back there? And now I'm just going to hell, you know, it's still a perpetual irrational fear of mine. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I don't fear hell like I used to. Yeah. I, I certainly not nearly as much as I used to. Um, and that's when I was a Christian. And now that I, I wouldn't consider myself a Christian, <laughs> right. I've lost so much of that anxiety. Sometimes I would say I have like two to 3%. One time, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, did I get it all wrong? Yeah. Just like a little, little full anxiety flash. But, yep. but I had those when I was a Christian too. I would get these right. same flashes where I would see some, I get like this flash in my head of like some cat headed Egyptian God yes. at the end of the day saying like, you got it all wrong. <laughs> and like at the end of the day, like that's just anxiety talking. Right. Yeah. And, and I would say that the most heretical thing probably that I believe now is that I don't, I don't really believe in sin anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that, um, which is like from someone that used to run their life off of shame. Yeah. I mean, shame was the driving factor of everything I did in my life. Yeah. Uh, I thought that I thought that feeling bad about myself was humility. I thought that right. that was close to godliness. Yep. My average worship session was bringing myself to tears about how bad I was so that God could change me and transform me to use me yes. for his purpose. That was my process of sanctification was constantly hating myself yep. for being human. Yep. And <clears throat> now I can't think of anything more evil than, than hating life and hating yourself. Agreed. Agreed. And, so if there was such a thing, what I think now of sin, like there's still awful things that happen in the world. There's maliciousness. There's, um, you know, people that kill each other and really awful, terrible things. Yeah. And what I would say to that, though, if I think of it more from like a psychological perspective, I think that that I think of that as generational trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And so I see the I see the world a lot more through the eyes of shame and trauma now. Yeah. And so when someone says that they're struggling with lust i think like well have you incorporated like your sexual self into who you are right i think when someone says that they struggle with um i don't know lying or hating people i think like okay you're probably just repressed you probably right haven't learned how to it's not and it's not that you need to go off and, and commit a bunch of crime or do something crazy it's that you learn to incorporate it which means you say okay the worst parts of myself are still a part of myself and I can learn to control that without repressing it. Yeah, absolutely. Through self-love, through self-actualization, I can go through a process of saying, yeah, I have really awful things about me that are terribly damaging. Yep. And I can love those back to a state of wholeness. And absolutely. I don't need someone else to save me. 
Absolutely. I can do it. Yeah. And that's such a heretical idea. And I, I really believe that if the church stopped crying so much for someone else to save them and did a little bit more saving themselves, they could do more good in the world. Agreed. Yeah. And you would absolutely be branded a heretic for that. Um, actually, my favorite article of clothing right now is a hat of mine that I have that just says heretic on it. Uh, it's, pre- it. it's, yeah. it's pretty much my favorite thing to wear these days. Um, and yeah. my my buddy Glenn has a podcast called the What If Podcast, and he's basically on a journey of deconstruction from evangelicalism, particularly Christian and Missionary Alliance evangelicalism. Uh, so I bought that from his podcast shop, uh, but it had to happen, you know. I think this this concept of sin to me too, like it's it's really weird to be me because I still very much feel called to like be the pastor of a church. But for me, Why? that's drastically, I'm totally going to explain it. Okay. Um, there, It's totally different than what I thought it would be, right? Like it's not evangelizing and it's not proselytizing. Uh, so what I've been doing is with this sense of calling, which I felt since I was five. And frankly, to come out, I had to give up on my sense of calling, which was wildly disenfranchising, you know? Um, but so I feel called to love people and to help people and to build community and to create um, emotionally and spiritually uh, safe spaces to have dialogue, right? And so it's all of these things that I would have expected a church to do, right? Uh, someone who is intentionally caring for, like spending time caring for the well being of a group of people and thinking like regular life is here in the physical and the tangible. And then I feel called to be this person that is regularly thinking and about here, this like uh, the intangible in life. And they're not opposites. They're just like, they're not things that you're thinking about when you're paying your bills and you're taking your garbage out and your kid is biting you or whatever's happening, you know? Um, And so I feel called to do those same things, but I've had to deconstruct, like I've been in my head, like what do you actually feel like you're supposed to do now, you know? And so for me, it's been really interesting because like, how do you be, you know, a pastor um, and not believe in sin and frankly, don't believe in hell? Like, what, what do you, what do you do there, you know? Uh, and moreover, how do you get someone to pay you to do it? Like, it's a really rough sell, you know? Uh, first of all, rough sell coming out as a trans person or as a lesbian during your pastoral ministry degree. Just a bad idea in case anybody's wondering. Uh, but for me, I just feel called to create those spaces and moments and experiences. Like I'm, a, I feel called to be a community builder and someone who is focused on that aspect of life, and also like advocacy and social justice. So for me, um, for me, spirituality uh, is not the end game is not salvation uh, as much as it is creating um, heaven on earth. And by heaven, I mean equity and I mean inclusion and I mean caring for those who are struggling and creating shalom and, and doing your best to embody agape. Like those are the things I feel called to. Um, And that's, that's one reason why I've landed where I've landed in terms of like church structures. I'm currently working with the United Churches of Christ, which is their whole focus is social justice. Like that is the basis of the gospel. Now I'm not speaking on behalf of the whole denomination, but the feel I've got from UCC ministers that I've talked to uh, and the theology I've read is like, we can table the discussion of afterlife, like just table it. But what we need to do right now is talk about what's happening in the world and how what you believe and understand and engage with as a person can either create heaven or hell on earth. Uh, and that's kind of where 
where I'm at. Like I feel called to be a person who's focusing on that and having that conversation like intentionally and regularly and challenging people to engage that for themselves and to find wholeness uh, and purpose and passion in within themselves and then take that to the world. It's not as a long form answer. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting because um, it's interesting how like I was raised to believe that well, I don't know about raised, but in the church, they taught us to believe that hell is the absence of God. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because you have to define hell and you have to define God. Right. And yeah. For so many people, disconnection from community yeah. is that absence of God. It's oh, my goodness. Of, it's because it's the absence of love. Yes. Yes. And yeah, it's so interesting. So when you talk about creating heaven, what you're doing, you're creating opportunities for love. Yes, absolutely. And it's so crazy how you're, how the pain you go through in life really kind of dictates the things that you care about. And when you felt exclusion, you yeah. suddenly are so passionate about inclusion. Absolutely. And when you felt worthless, you know, you have such a passion to help other people feel worthy. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. when you've hated yourself, you really are passionate to help people love themselves. It's so wild absolutely. how that stuff uh, it dictates that. And and I think there is a certain amount of symbolism in, you know, Christ going through the crucifixion and taking the keys of hell and coming back for the salvation of man. There's something really symbolic about kind of going into hell yourself. Right. And until you take ownership of it, you know, you're still in it. And then when you take ownership of it, then you can actually bring salvation to the, your community and the people around you. And you, it's really sometimes it takes dying to really bring life to people around you. Wow. And I don't mean that literally. So don't like, don't nobody, nobody kill themselves. Don't, Yo, do don't Jim Jones but, it. <laughs> but if you're going through something and just understand, like, you know, your pain is your purpose. Yeah. It becomes your story. Yeah. And your story, I think stories are some of the most powerful things we have. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic metaphor. I haven't thought about that um, in a minute. Cause that like, it's kind of like a, there's the cross and then there's Jesus up in the sky again, right? People don't always talk about that narrative. Uh, I can't remember. I feel like it's only in one of the gospels. I can't remember though. So please don't quote me and don't tell my sponsoring church. But um, there's a narrative that like that Jesus literally after Jesus dies on the cross, what happens in the three days between Jesus dying and being raised. This is where everybody who's watching, you might not have like heard of this, but the three days between Jesus dying and being raised, Jesus essentially goes on this odyssey to hell and like, fucks up the devil, takes the keys to hell back and like comes out all like William Wallace Braveheart style, like victory over the grave kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting parallel when you think about that story in terms of like you said, like going there and taking the keys back yourself. Like right. I went there through this shit and I, I beat it and I came back and here's what I learned right? And here's me being able to live in my purpose and tell you this. That See, that's that's what I see the Bible as useful for in those moments is that sort of metaphor. Um, but the the danger has been that people have decided to do whatever with it. Um, and it, like, I think when the Bible said God is love, that he, he didn't, no one was stuttering in that moment. Like that was a cheap thing, but we've kind of put that second place, you know, to this weird um, late 1900s warrior God kind of thing. But that's a, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. I'm probably going to have to talk about that. It, with my so counselor. I just, I just read something recently and it was like, when you, when you put God 
in Christianity, it becomes love. And when you take him out, it becomes control. Mm. And and I think that kind of defines what you were just talking about with love is like, or um, when God commanded love, he was, he was actually saying like, love one another as I have loved you. And it was, it was a, um, it was a command towards compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about, like the warrior uh, kind of nationalistic version of God and love that's kind of come out is really, it's, it's religion sourced without God in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's actually like a form of idolatry. It is. It is. Yeah. Oh my God. You say that like 20 more times and I would still have this wide-eyed it is yeah. response. Yeah, I'm, I'm typing ever, your quote. If right you now. ever see a Trump flag flying over a Christian flag, they don't worship Jesus there. Yes. Say it again. Say it again. This is what bothers me too. It's like we're hitting on all of my favorite topics right now. I really love this conversation. <laughs> um, but we're hitting we're hitting on my favorite topics right now, which is one of them being the the enmeshment of hyperbolic patriotism and Christianity. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called Jesus and John Wayne, which I'm super pumped on. Yeah, I've been seeing um, that flying around. I don't know much about it, but yeah. It's so good. So I'm reading it right now. And actually, for those of you who are watching in January, uh, I believe it's January 31st, Kristen Dumez, the author of Jesus and John Wayne, is going to be on Conversations. So it's going to be dope. You must set it in your calendars. It's going to be so, so good. Um but we are going to be talking about this weird, there is a whole, like the whole, the whole, I'm on chapter four right now, and it's all been a history book so far. She's actually a history professor. And so she takes you from the early, like late 1800s, early 1900s up to, I'm at like the seventies and eighties right now. And she shows the logical links that led us to be in this place of hyper-masculine, patriarchal, exclusionary, God guns in the Bible, Christianity. And she shows like all of the links to it. And it's such an enmeshment of pop culture first. Yeah. And, and the goals of a patriarchal pop culture. And then the Bible being used to support that. It's so good, dude. It's like mind blowing. Yeah. I don't know much about that. I'd be interested to learn more. Yeah, you should check you should check out the book and then definitely come listen to Kristen speak. It's going to be so good. But I think we've seen that so much in our last election cycle and I think this last election cycle just proved to me a further distancing from evangelicalism cuz I was like what are you saying? Like how are you just how what you're saying and the Bible that I've actually read, which I read in the original text, if you want to get at me. <laughs> well, not Aramaic, so it was actually the first translation. But um <laughs> Not real anymore. Or not real anymore, bro. Discredited. Discredited. <laughs> but but like the, a lot of the things that, that you're you're saying you're voting for and yeah. the ways that you're trying to run a country, like you can't read the book of Isaiah from a naval carrier proclaiming a war over terrorism. That's literally anti the Bible. The Bible was a book about colonized people, not the colonizer. That's a real thing that George W. Bush did, in case you folks are wondering. Um, but like, it's just been twisted and manipulated. And so once you step outside of that evangelical bubble and you begin to deconstruct, you see all these ways that the Bible is just used for people's agenda. And frankly, if you can make a group of people that don't trust themselves and that hate themselves, it's a good business. Like, look at how yeah, there's a lot of money. Contemporary Christian music, uh, shirts with your church's logo on them, not thinking of anybody personally, but, um, you know, books after books after books after financial seminars. 
the thing that's really gotten my blood boiling the most recently is Sean Few. Yeah, tell me. Do you know anything about that? Or, I don't. Okay. Yeah, if you look it up, you're gonna. It'll set you on fire. Uh, okay, so maybe save that for tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, who is he connected to? He's not. It's not Hillsong. Um, name a big ministry. Bethel. Yes. Hillsong. Yeah, that's is it. Is. Bethel? That's it Bethel? So, okay, so he's connected to Bethel, but he's a politician. He ran for Congress at one point, um, but he's very connected to their ministry. He's kind of like a traveling Christian missionary, like worship leader, politician guy. And okay. he has lately been leading this big political movement throughout the states uh, called the super spreader movement, where he is saying because Black Lives Matter gets to, um, because they get to march, well, they're taking away our rights as Christians to be able to worship in public. And so we are ta- we are going to do a peaceful protest and go worship out in public without masks. And so he's been going around the country doing these super spreader concerts where he sells T-shirts that say super spreader to spread Jesus. And it's this big religious pride, essentially, to take back the rights to worship in public. But at the same time, it's during a pandemic and thousands of people are gathering without masks and they're calling it peaceful protest because they need they're being persecuted as Christians. It's a and, persecution complex, bro. But whenever he's been asked about the money he's making on the shirts, he uh he won't answer and he deletes the comments. Uh and the shirts go for $32 each. They're not cheap. Holy shit. I I've been looking into this and this guy drives me nuts. Um but anyway, uh <laughs> he won't be arrested. He's actually been assisted by police and he um yeah, I don't know. It's it's a whole movement. I've actually had people writing to me recently saying, like, look at the good work God's doing. And I'm like, no, this guy should be in jail. Yeah, that's this not is, good work, this bro. Is a, this is a hazard to public health. Like, stop this. We literally have that um, here in town. Literally. Like, I can't, I just don't, I don't understand how you can label something that is blatantly not in the best interest of your neighbor as Christianity. Love yeah, your neighbor not, as it's, yourself. It's, it's just not love. It's not. I, I don't know if the masks work. I don't really know how this pandemic is going to end or if it's even real. Right. But if if all you know is that maybe something harmful, maybe you could possibly help someone not die. Just one person. Maybe that's love. Yeah. And I don't I don't see how that's even debatable. But yeah. also the use of the word, something that really bothers me is the use of the word persecution. And so when you say yeah. your rights as an American Christian are persecution and you look at the roots of Christianity in early Rome, where persecution was being your body being used as a street lamp, yeah, to light yeah. the streets or being fed to lions, and you're just going to say being, you know, sent home where you can worship on FaceTime with other believers or just in your home. That's not yeah. you don't know the word persecution. Like American Christians don't understand what persecution is. and 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 it's, it's a shame, I think, to the people who have died for it. I. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. To me, that's not that's not even Christianity anymore. That's just some political movement to yeah. try to control rights. And it's it's really weird. I really hate it. It's yeah, it's incredibly anti-gospel if you really read the gospel, right? That's like so nonsensical. Like straight white, uh straight white heterosexual Christian males have likely never known what a <laughs> front but, but like you probably can't you probably literally can't identify with persecution 
Like, right. I, I'm only like, I'm only really one layer removed from that. And, and it's now it's funny because like, I'm non-binary uh, and I am queer. But if you looked at me, there are a lot of ways in which I get straight white male privilege now that I did not get before. Yeah. Um, when I was visibly a lesbian, I could be going 21 miles an hour in a 20 mile an hour speed zone and get a ticket. It happened <laughs> wow. as a as a man i've gotten pulled over four or five times um and never once gotten a ticket it wasn't for huh. speeding or anything but it was for things that were blatantly illegal like a headlight out um or my muffler being too loud and i've never gotten a ticket as a perceived straight white male whereas opposed to every time i got pulled over when i was visibly a gay oh, i was a visibly gay female a ticket every single time for the most minor infractions one time i got ticketed twice in one night for the same infraction because the police just didn't believe me as a lesbian and and I, so i'm not telling you that this is uh, empirically proven stuff, but I'm telling you, like, as a straight, as someone who's started to experience straight white male as a little bit of like an insider spy, uh, like the idea that you're suffering persecution, are you kidding me? Like, that's crazy. And then if you want to add it another layer to it, I mean, like if you are a, if you are a pro law enforcement or law enforcement member or law enforcement family, that's straight white male, heterosexual Christian in America. Like that's what you're doing is not love. And I feel like I feel like Christianity and general evangelicals right now are getting off on the idea of being persecuted. And well, that's a disservice. It, it goes with that same persecution fantasies we were talking about. It's part of victim culture. Yeah. And it's another toxic part of, of Christianity is this need to be a sufferer for Christ. Yeah. And so and I remember even being a kid and like someone would be like, I remember one time I took my Bible somewhere and, and some other kid was like, oh, you have a Bible. And I was so proud to go back to church that Wednesday and tell them how I had suffered for God because right. someone made fun of my Bible one time. Yeah. And then, but it's so, it's so wild when you really think about people who are suffering in the world, when you think about what's going on in Nigeria right now, when you think about, um, I'm a, I'm third generation descendant of the Holocaust. And I, mm -hmm. if I think about like what my, even though I'm straight white male, right, right. Yeah. Like, you know, my family knows what persecution was. Absolutely. Um, and, and you see the Holocaust museums and just some of the horrific things. Right. And, and you're going to like dare to use the word persecution because you have to stay home like everyone else in the world. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a worldwide pandemic. It's not even just you. And the fact that you're making about you is pure narcissism. Narcissism. Absolutely. And you so, said it. Yeah. Now That's I'm getting wild. fired up. You can see I'm starting to. My no, fighter's coming out. That's okay. That's okay because it should yeah. be because these are things that we've been taught to yeah. like submit to the ideology of the church. And even still now to this day, like I love my mom, that woman's ride or die, right? Like if, if given the choice to like oppose my mom or being thrown into a pit of wild, angry beavers, I would pick the wild, angry beavers, right? I would um, too, just because I like animals. <laughs> Right, right. There you go. Uh, but but like still to this day, you know, there's this idea that like this this persecution is happening and and I'm being singled out for being a Christian. And 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 and, and like, I can't I can't vibe with you here. You know what I mean? And and like I should be having this. This is the, this is the moment to get fired up. Right. Because the way that I interpret Christianity uh, is very different from the way I was taught. And so like, we should be able to get fired up and have these conversations. Cause if you're, if your religion and, and any sort of belief can't stand up to critical thinking and questioning, it's not religion, it's dogma. It's cultural. Yeah.
something I want to add on to that too is I think it's so important to have these conversations. And I think that the church deserves a good amount of criticism. They've been criticizing the world since they came into existence. And I think that they can handle a little bit of lashback. Yeah. Um, and that's not, that's not persecution. That's just saying, yo, you know, keep yourself in check. We don't care if you're a religion, just keep yourself in check. Yeah. But, but I would also say that the goal isn't, uh, and this is through the maturity of myself in the last 10 years, the goal isn't to mock. It's not to get cynical. It's not, right. that's a lot of that is just coping with it. Yeah. And, and having, you know, suffered under the church yourself, you, you develop a lot of sarcasm towards the church. Right. The goal isn't just to mock and destroy the church. I don't want to just shut churches down. I think right. there are people, there are churches doing amazing things in the world. Yeah. Um, the goal is restorative justice. Yes. Uh, right. Restorative ne salvation. Neon too. light, neon light, right. Restorative, <laughs> yeah. that idea of so, restorative justice. Yeah. So the idea is it's not so much that I want to take anything away from Christians. It's that if they're causing pain in the world, like how do we lessen that? Right. There's, there's enough suffering with natural disasters. How do right. we lessen, you know, and that takes a good amount of honest conversation. Yeah. And, and just, and it also comes across, like, I've had to notice, like, I've definitely had times where I've straight up yelled at Christians. And if I am honest, I've never heard anything someone yelling at me has said. Right. Right. Very true. Um, And so if we actually want to see change, it's going to take um, doing the inner work enough to not have rage during your conversation. Right. To being able to temper it enough to say and like, look, I love you, but this has to stop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can, you can hold someone accountable without, without hating them. Yes. Yes. And that's absolutely. actually the most restorative way to do it. That's actually truth and love combined. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and that's such an important intersection. Cause I've, I've been told many times that I'm, you know, I'm speaking the truth in love and I really like, I'm looking in there for where the love part is, you know what I mean? Right. Cause and, there's a lot of rage. I mean, there's a lot of triggering, yeah. yeah. but the thing is, is like, I don't know that you can cause change with triggers. Yeah. I if don't we've think learned you know. anything from 2020. <laughs> right. 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 Everyone's yeah. triggered and no one's changing. And it's just like, okay, well, how, how are we going to start building some bridges here? Like we've got to do better. Yeah. In a many, in many ways, I personally still feel like a, a man without a flag, so to speak. I, I don't even know where that reference is from. I, it's from something in pop culture. Yeah, it sounds but poetic. It does. It does. Right. Uh, but I still feel it's that way. Metal band name. Uh, <laughs> I still feel <laughs> like I'm this, I, I'm here, right. I'm the monkey in the middle between um, where I'm at and where I came from. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, like I, I was asking this uh, question of a person uh, recently who I've just been engaging with in this deconstruction uh, post-Christian world that I've been just only recently engaging in. Because to be honest, before, the, before six months ago, I was not ready to have the conversation about right. what I believed. Right. I wasn't. Right. So this is still a real this is a real fresh re-engagement of my understanding of, of calling. But I was having this discussion with, uh, with a um, trans woman who used to be a straight white male uh, conservative evangelical pastor, right? Has transitioned, um, has found fullness in themselves, and at the same time has found just a massive disenfranchisement from Christianity. And right. I, I, I asked the question in, in a genuine dialogue, not in any pointed way. I, I said, do you think that... Um, it's too soon to reclaim the word Christian because they were saying they couldn't vibe with it anymore. Yeah. Uh, and they, they said it's too soon. And I think that's fair for some people. It's too soon and the word is too charged. But for me personally, like there's something redemptive about how I grew up. 
Like there are moments and experiences that I can't mm. explain away, even once yeah. I strip away the dogma. And yeah. so for me, I'm this man without a flag and I'm not gay enough and I'm not straight enough and I'm not queer enough and I'm not evangelical enough. Like I'm this person in the middle, but I think you're right. Um, like people have rights to be triggered. There are, are many situations sure. which yeah, I, yeah. I can never disenfranchise someone from their feeling triggered or from their pain. But all I'm just saying is like, I'm at a point where I'm trying to re-engage the conversation and see what the hell's salvageable uh, and where do we go from here? Like I keep asking this question of myself, like if I feel like I'm supposed to be a pastor, what does church mean in 2020 when you can't gather together and there's so much pain in the world from all different angles. Like, what is that? What is even, what does Christian mean? What does church mean? Why, why would we do these things? Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I'm at personally right now is just figuring that out. And that's why I like having this exact type of conversation yeah. on conversations. Like, I feel like the world needs these conversations. So if we, if, if I can in some way help them happen on a regular basis right, and, right. you know, literal tens of watchers uh, will see it, but I, I feel like it matters. And yeah. I feel like if everybody can do something in their corner of the world, whether or not it's caught on camera, because to be honest, it doesn't need to be, right? But sure. if everybody can do something in their corner of the world, maybe 2021 won't be such a dumpster fire. I think that's such an important point that you made, that that phrase, where do we go from here, is yeah. so important to focus on. So like you said, triggers are important because you can't actually have enlightenment without them. You right. Can't, you can't see yourself or other people accurately without examining your triggers. That's the shadow right. work that Jung talks about. Yes. You start with what's where your resentments are at and then you work up from there. Yes. And once you deal with that, that's when you actually start being able to having the potential to have these super impactful conversations enough to say, if I want to create heaven on earth, how can I make that happen? Right. And so there's, there's a huge changing point after you do the inner work or while you're doing the inner work. And I want people listening to this to know it's okay to ask the questions it's okay to doubt. It's actually vital and yes. important for you to have your thoughts and to know that it's okay to create the space to do that. It's actually important to the world that you do that. Yes, it's and necessary. That you do, and that you actually carry it out. You don't just say like, well, I have some questions and I have some doubts and maybe I should just stuff them. Don't stuff them. Carry them out as far as you can. Figure out exactly what your story is in relation to them and then do whatever you can with your story to help the world because you are the center of a circle of people. Yes. And there are people like I can only reach a certain circle of people. Leo can only reach a certain circle of people. And, and that's, that's the crazy thing is like your circle then goes out from there. Yeah. And within a matter of a couple circles, it's like a million people. And so like, yes. there's, there's literally a, a ripple effect. What you do and think right now matters to the world more than, you know, yes. And Absolutely. I just want people to know that there is value in your doubts and in your questions. I read, I heard this quote by Stephen Fry. I think he was actually quoting someone else. And he said, one of the painful things about our time is that those who feel certainty are stupid and those with any imagination have doubt. Ooh. And then Stephen Fry added on to that. He said, let doubt prevail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's the same, there's a quote, and there's a, the reason I love the word heretic is because uh, Rob Bell, for those of you who don't know, he's uh, he was a Christian pastor, he is now kind of a spiritual writer, um, but he was labeled a heretic, and it just... Yeah, he really took a lot of fire from the church. He took a ton of fire. Before he even fully came out, even. Yeah. I mean, he was like, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Poor guy. 
and he wrote he wrote a book and it's called uh it's called love uh love wins and it is i have it's sitting on my bookshelf right now and it's it's a title the subtitle is like the history of heaven hell and everyone who has ever lived and i was on uh my buddy glenn gave me a ticket to a a one-on-one like rob bell writing class type seminar the other day because he couldn't Mm -hmm. go and rob bell was like i don't think anybody realized that title was supposed to be a joke and, and and it's funny because after that book, he got completely excommunicated from Christianity. Yeah. Uh, but there's a story where he talks about being a heretic and the heretics were the ones who wanted to know. Yeah. And so what I took away from that is like, I will wear the label of heretic proudly because I would rather know than just be ignorant. Right. And, and let, let doubt win. Right. Like let doubt win in 2020 doubt the way that you thought things should be and doubt the way that was normal before the pandemic because it was obviously not working. The pandemic didn't create flaws, it exposed them. So embrace the doubt and lean into it and be a heretic, run with it, you know? Well, also there's this thing where there is no real certainty in life. And the more you ask questions, you realize how much everything is fabricated and the more you'll need to rely and trust on yourself. And that's really, such a journey in itself yeah Yeah. um but man i i just want to say do you mind if i give like a couple tips towards anyone that might yeah no go for it we're about to wrap so give your your opus to the world right now yeah and if you have any questions write them now and leo will shout them out i don't mind if you interrupt me i'd love to hear any questions people have um but i would love to 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 kind of leave you guys with some tips of you know I've, I've experienced a lot of depression as I've gone through this um, journey. And I don't think my depression defines me, but it's definitely added to my character and to my depth. And, and I want people to know to not, to not fear it and not be afraid of it. Um, But I wanted to leave you with some of the coping mechanisms that I use. And this was one of your questions. I thought it was awesome. Um, The biggest one that I've used through through this process of learning to love myself learning to accept myself has hands down been working out i i don't take medication or any for any kind of i'm not slamming it if you do but hands down working out will change your life yeah whether you like it or not it'll make you mentally tougher uh it's not even just about aesthetic it's just about everything works better and it and it works as medication and it's it's so awesome it's not a replacement for medication but it helps and um, I have uh, people that hold me accountable. The second big thing is I had a um, counselor that, that told me I should create a fail safe of two to three people that when I'm at my darkest moments, they are on call. And I did that. I set that up. I have about four people that at any moment I can send a little emoji of like a sad face and they'll call me. And, and that was, that's so awesome to know that that's there because the biggest thing when you're going through any sort of identity crisis is the loneliness it's dealing with not having community and so i just want to really encourage you to create circles of people who are safe for you to be who you are wherever you are however you are at the moment um other things that i do because i'm super uh add and creative is i create schedules i create i can't they actually really help my mental health. They tell me when to go to bed. They tell me what I need to do. And it, that way I don't have to keep it all in my head where it just turns into a giant wildfire. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, and so like little systems like that really help kind of calm the chaos. And then also uh, using streams of that chaos that I put into like music. I do music before bed every night. And it, it's something that if I push it out of myself, I can finally fall asleep. I mean, it's, it's one mm -hmm. of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of the biggest things I would say is, is creating healthy boundaries, which I didn't even know the word boundaries until about two years ago. Yeah. Um, there's a incredible woman on YouTube named Kristen Snowden, who has, I think the best sheet on healthy boundaries. She created it and it's on Google. And it's like the first thing that comes up when you Google healthy boundaries. Um, but yeah, decide basically healthy boundaries for those of you who didn't grow up in environments with them is deciding which behaviors you will or won't accept in both mm -hmm. yourself and other people. So it's like saying where you're going to put your foot down. Um, what, what, what behavior do I find acceptable and having the backbone to say no. It's like really learning that process of saying what's healthy for me. What do I need right now? And uh, and I'm not willing to do anything that crosses that line. That's really um, good. And then having the patience with yourself because it's a journey and it's a process. Yeah. And it, it really takes time. In fact, it takes the rest of your life. It's yeah. not it's not overnight, but it does get better. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would fantastic. Leave, that's what I would leave people with. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. For those of you guys who might uh, want to keep track of that, um, but weren't taking notes, I'm going to drop Kendall. He did a, he did me a solid and wrote out a bunch of his answers and he's already sent me the Google Doc. So I'm going to go ahead and post that in uh, on the on the page after we're done with this conversation, uh, as well as I just posted the link to the healthy boundaries uh, that, that Kendall recommended. So that's oh, in yeah. the comments as well. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was on it for once, you know, <laughs> I see that You're on top of I'm, it. I'm trying, right. I'm trying. So um, I want to thank you, Kendall, for coming on. Uh, I, I just have one final question for you that I didn't yeah. tell you. Uh, okay. For those of you who don't know, Kendall has a tattoo on his arm and it says for the sake of the story. And I was just wondering if you'd tell me why you have that yet. Cause you've been waiting me make for wait for like years. That's actually really funny. Cause I forget about that. So when, that was my first tattoo and um, I read somewhere in a book that girls thought it was hot if you created mystery about yourself. And so I thought <laughs> I would create a tattoo with something vague on it and then never tell anyone. <laughs> and, it, and it actually worked. Like I would like airport, I'd be like on an airplane and meet a girl. She'd be like, what does it mean? I'd be like, I can't tell you. It's mysterious. Oh my God. I've and been waiting for this answer for years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because I've told, I've, I've come out and told people it actually, I do love for the sake of the story, I believe that your personal story and your narrative is, is the most important thing you have in your life. Yeah. And that every person should create the best possible story. I yeah. love, I love storytelling. I love yeah. stories in general. Yeah. And, and so I really believe that people should create their lives as the best possible <laughs> story. I used to say that to myself. I used to be like, when making crazy decisions, I'd be like, will this be a good story one day? And right. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of my little mantra was for the sake of the story. But then when I got it, I wouldn't tell anyone because I, I wanted to create that mystery. And after uh, a couple of years, I was like, that's just dumb. I'm just going to be me. But I forgot that there's a group of people that I never let that know. And so yes, once, in, yes. <laughs> once in a while, 
it comes out and it's, it's really funny. I, I thought um, it was initially going to be this deep-seated story because you mentioned something a couple of minutes back about how our stories are important. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that I didn't know it was about this mysterious girl catching tattoo. Well, you know what, though? I do have this new tattoo right here. Okay. I, just, I, I can't tell you about it, though. Oh, good. Good. Awesome. So that's going to be another decade in the making. Yeah, you know, maybe at 35. Come to come to conversations 2030 and we'll tell you what Kentel's <laughs> big reveal. I love it so much. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Th Kendall, thank you for being so willing and, and open and vulnerable. I know um, yeah. just reading the comments, I know already that you've made an impact. And I think that it's important for you to know that you didn't need to be super Jesus-y to make that impact. Uh, I might argue that it was more impactful that you were willing to share your doubts. And so I really thank you for that. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, it's, it's been great. So everybody who's watching, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for the comments. Thank you for the shares. This is not about the number of people who watch, but it is about, about it is for me. The, it is for Kendall. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a numbers guy. I see it's a numbers hand. guy. That's I the third that hand. tattoo. I see that hand. <laughs> I see that hand. Yeah. This is a good Christian joke right there. <laughs> uh, but it's really, it really is important. Everything that we said tonight about engaging and belonging in community, that is why, um, that's why I do conversations. And uh, I, I'm really excited to continue to do it. I've mentioned this on the page a little bit, uh, but I've actually have guests booked out until February of next year. Um, we've got some amazing people, some personal friends, some people I'm just meeting, some really famous people um, that I just kind of sent messages messages as a Hail Mary. And they said, yes. Um, so some good stuff coming up, some good topics. And I am working actively to find some interfaith topics as well. Uh, I have some specific topics I'd like to talk about, uh, especially like uh, Islam as a culture and Islam as a religion and, and the interplay of those two, some really cool stuff coming up. So definitely keep tuning in. Every Sunday night, we're going to be doing this uh, at six or seven o'clock, depending on the coast of the speaker, what's ever best for them. So we'll be doing it every Sunday evening. Uh, I also wanted to make an extra special announcement. Um, conversationsofficial.com is in existence. Uh -huh. Yay. Yeah. Um, also, I should have had someone cue the sound effects there. It would have been much more dramatic than me going, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but also there is a conversations official shop. You can find us on Etsy under a conversation shop, or you can find the link on the conversations official website, conversationsofficial.com. Uh, the conversations official shop is going to go to pay for things like lights and internet and things like that. Um, and we, uh, it's gonna help just keep conversations be self-sustaining when I'm making less money than I am at the moment as I go back to grad school. So I, wanna, I wanted to lay a ground for work for conversations to keep existing. So you can buy conversations official merch um, through the conversation shop. It's gonna be pretty dope. I designed it, so I'm gonna be buying a bunch of it. <laughs> um, I just wanna say real quick too, if yeah. you guys are friends with Leo, um, you know how crazy his life is and how many uh, things he's got going on the burners at the same time. It's and true. if you if you decide to, to donate or to buy from the merch, it actually creates the space so that he can help create this community that you guys love to be a part of. And so um, help him help you. Hey, it's thank really, you so it's much. It's really the message. It's, yeah. You know, your it's time a is worth a lot and you put a lot into this. So 
it's a hard oh. sell, you know what I mean? To say like, yeah. to say like, I need money to make this happen. Cause yeah. like, I, I want to just make money. it happen. You know what I mean? Uh, but really like I spent four or five hours today dropping, just, just putting the merch onto the shop after I had already previously designed it. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it takes some work. And but that's I'm not excited. even stating what you're paying me. I mean, that's right. Exactly. I wouldn't even want to talk about Kendall's writers. So my covers crazy. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, but yeah, if you are able to buy some merch, you'll get some dope merch. Um, um, and we'll be able to keep conversations going uh, and make some good things happen. I'm also looking into some some strategic partnerships to make us a nonprofit so that we can keep happening. And I actually have a lead on some physical space where we could do some small group gatherings so we could have groups of four, five, six together and then broadcast those so that everybody can still be involved. Um, there's some really good things coming up in the future. And I thank you guys so much uh, for being willing to listen. Um, we've got some great things coming up content wise. Uh, we start our conversations book group tomorrow. So that'll be tomorrow night at seven o'clock. We'll be meeting via Zoom, uh, reading the Poisonwood Bible. And I'm really stoked for that um, because I was originally thinking of doing something really heady. And then this fiction book just kind of came to mind. So, uh, but it is going to be a great dialogue and conversation and hopefully challenge all of us. So thank you guys for coming to conversations tonight. Uh, I do think that, oh, thank you for dropping the link, Mike. Uh, we also have a group that meets on Sunday nights called The Table, which is like this like crusty punk Bible study. Like if you want to talk about things that might not be shit from the Bible, you can hit that up on our Discord channel. The link for that is also on the group. Uh, the group is also uh, closed so that you can express concerns and answers and ask questions there in as safe of a space and as brave of a space as we can create. Thank you everybody for coming out. I hope you have a great Sunday night. I'm going to go catch the rest of the Bills game and it's going to be awesome. Kendall, sir. We'll wait for the story of your other tattoo in 2030. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. All right, bye. This has been the Conversations Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or just want to get involved, feel free to join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Conversations Official on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the conversation.